right, you guys, uh, everybody ready? Uh, we're at twelve thirty-five. I think so we ready. Go. How are you Let's doing, do Justin? Do Good. All right. <clears throat> I believe I am ready. <laughs> Good. Good. <laughs> I love how you made us wait for it. Hello and welcome to Murder Husbands, an in-depth episode-by-episode discussion of Brian Fuller's Hannibal, based on characters from the novels by Thomas Harris. We are Popsicle, a group of like-minded creators who enjoy getting together to have big conversations for big stories. I'm Justin Peniston, creator of worlds and destroyer of deadlines. As always, I am joined by my deep-thinking Popsicle co-host crew. First, we have the incredibly talented artist of Hex 11 and creative director of Hex Comics, whose unspeakable talents are outstripped only by her scintillating insights and personality. I'm talking about none other than Lisa K. Weber. Oh my gosh, hello. I don't know about the rest of you, but I'm still nursing wounds inflicted by her rapier wit. <laughs> Fortunately, I can gain comfort in her weighty wisdom. Los Angeles' great loss is Orange County's mighty gain. I'm talking, of course, about Kelly Sumilano. <laughs> oh, it's me. The Beastie Boys once recorded a song called She's Crafty. And who knew that they could be referring to someone capable of weaving their love of geekery with a deft hand at cross-stitch, not to mention a budding genius of graphic design and a thief of all great things I want to say. It's Claire Thorne. Oh my goodness. I couldn't have stolen any of this though. I mean, come on. <laughs> Finally. The worth of every hero is ultimately determined by the quality of their enemies, in which case I must be Superman. But my Lex Luthor is better known as Jack of all creative trades and powerful podcast producer, Philip Kelly. I, I think you've become the Hannibal of intros. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Don't be rude. Artistically um, pleasing. Before we dive into our discussion of fromage, Lisa and Philip will take us through a quick recap of the episode. Take it away. This week's episode opens with what seems like a wholesome violin lesson. Aw. Franklin's friend <laughs> Tobias is a violin teacher who makes his own violin strings out of human entrails. It shouldn't come as a surprise the murder the BAU is investigating is musical in nature. A killer has murdered a member of the Baltimore Symphony Orchestra, exposing his vocal cords so he can play him like a cello. Back at the lab, the team discovers that vocal cords have been tanned and treated professionally, leading well to declare that this dude is a professional musician, or at least one who professionally makes instruments. Franklin visits Hannibal and moves into stage five clinger sets. He's not only growing needier, but is spilling the tea about his friend Tobias's dark comments. Meanwhile, Will is hearing the sounds of a phantom whimper. He talks to Alana about it, and of course, it gets romantic. Who isn't into a guy who hears imaginary wounded animals. Hannibal visits Tobias's shop on a hunch after Franklin's comments. He shares with Will that he's pretty sure he's the human cello guy. Will heads over to investigate with two cops, gets distracted by the imaginary whimper, and returns to find that Tobias has murdered both cops. Will shoots him in the ear in self-defense before he escapes. Tobias then breaks into Hannibal's session with Franklin, and while Franklin tries to convince him to turn himself in, Hannibal snaps his neck. Probably felt pretty good, TBH. So good that Tobias is irked that Hannibal took that from him. Tobias discloses that he knows who Hannibal is, that he followed him the night he dumped the body in the school bus. Hannibal was already planning on offing this dude because he sucks, 
but now he's really going to off him. The more glorious, the most glorious fight ensues in Hannibal's office before he crushes Tobias's head with the statue of the stag. Symbolic! Will apologizes to Hannibal for bringing him into his world, LOL. And later, when Hannibal is recounting his recent activities to Bedelia and the guilt he feels for Franklin's death, she tells him she took responsibility for her own mystery patient's attack on her, but not for his death. The plot thickens. Dun, dun, dun. So this was an interesting episode. We were all, some of, several of us were saying off mic before we began recording, that this is one of our favorite episodes. Um, and indeed, there was a, a flurry of text messages at one point while Phil was watching the episode, wherein he pointed accusing fingers at us for suggesting we use cello music for this, because now he understood why. For, for this meeting, Murder Husbands, the show. Um, now, discussion. Uh, the overriding theme of the episode to me seemed to be delusion. From the very first, we are treated to the starkest evidence yet of Will Graham's deteriorating mental state as he begins having increasingly distracting auditory hallucinations. Although it's interesting, interesting to note that his crumbling perceptions of reality are accompanied by a ramping up of his flirtations with Alana Bloom. What do you make of Will's crumbling state? Am I the only one bothered by the fact that his being distracted by the phantom sounds likely got two cops killed? Shouldn't he absolutely remove himself from field work? Um, and before you guys start answering, just to follow through with the, the delusion theme, um, Will's mental state is actually only the B story of this. The A story is dominated by delusion as well. Franklin's foolish belief that he can get through to, to Tobias, that he could ever be a friend to Hannibal, and maybe Tobias Budge's delusion that he could ever be a friend to Hannibal. So, panel, friends, colleagues, <laughs> Romans, <laughs> what do we think? There's a lot to um, unpack here with this mm -hmm. one. Um, I mean, to be fair to Will, he did try and step away when he thought he was getting too close and like, and Jack was like, well, no, you can't step away because, you know, you, you would feel worse if you didn't catch a killer. And so mm -hmm. even though his mental state is crumbling more and more, um, I think he's still probably hearkening back to that conversation with Jack where it's like, no, I have to keep doing this. Um, I mean, as far as him being responsible for the death of the two cops, I'm like, well... I think it's more Tobias is responsible oh, for this. Ultimately, <laughs> sure, sure. But, I, but what I mean is, I mean, no, no, isn't, I isn't the, the the aren't his hallucinations becoming a true problem? Yes, mm, yes, mm -hmm. they are absolutely becoming a true problem. I just think that the reason why he's not he's not like backing out is because he doesn't he really doesn't think that he can, um, and he doesn't think that he should. And so that's, you know, more of, that's even more delusion is like kind of his growing sense of importance to these things. Um, especially with all of the kind of like, you know, his whole kind of like, again, hearkening back to like his feelings of power. He feels powerful in this role. Like when he does the design 
when he goes into his design state and he is playing this human cello, he sees Garrett Jacob Hobbs, who for Will is kind of like, is like that, that was Will's first really powerful feeling moment that we saw was him killing Garrett Jacob Hobbs. And so it's like, I think he's feeling more and more powerful in this role. And so it's like, he feels even more like he has to hang on to it. It's actually interesting because you mentioned that. And I think that's also fills into this whole delusion thing, because when he's talking to Hannibal at one point, Hannibal asks him how he felt and he flashes back to that image of Garrett Jacob Hobbs. And then he says, or, you know, he says, what did you see? And he goes, mm -hmm. and he see, and he says, I saw myself. Yeah. You know? I wrote, I wrote that down when I was taking notes for the episode. Cause I was like, <laughs> is he lying and saying he saw himself or is he like, no, I see my self, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Isn't this like the second episode in a row where he's equated himself with Garrett Jacob Hobbs? Didn't he have that delusion where he's sitting across from Abigail Hobbs and Abigail says to him, calls him dad, mm -hmm. you know, like mm -hmm. there definitely seems to be some, I, I don't know. I don't know if it's actual insanity or delusion or what. Well, mm -hmm. I do know, but I don't want to say <laughs> what it is because, you know, we have my friend, Philip the noob, Philip the noob, any thoughts? <laughs> I mean, about all of this. Um, well, I mean, I think it's, uh, I mean, the moment I saw uh, uh, Dan Fogler in the first episode, I, I, I knew he'd have to play a bigger part later on. So you don't cast Dan Fogler in a throwaway, that's, that's Franklin, um, in a throwaway role, because he's, he's exceptional as an actor. Um, uh, I don't think I'd seen him before, the, before I saw this when it was mm -hmm. airing originally. Yeah, yeah. No, I did, yeah, he, I, my first Beverly. intro was Fantastic Beasts, um, which he's great in. What's that, Kelly Sue? Sorry. It's an inside joke. That it's a terrible inside I joke. And I about... couldn't I couldn't stop myself just now. Oh, well, <laughs> it's it's funny because the mic didn't pick it up. So none of, it's still an inside yeah, joke. Yeah, so perfect. I guess. Perfect. All right, um, Joyce, yeah. Just strike uh, it from the record. <laughs> I I what I what I found interesting early on about this uh episode is that um Will is saying, you know what, it's getting easier to do this. I'm, I'm having an easier time separating myself from this. And, and that's a big part of, I think, delusion is to say that you're okay when think really you're not. Um, uh, and the, yeah, it was just, um, God, so much happened to this. Is this the, they, they, <laughs> sorry, I, I may cut this. Did they kiss in this episode or was that next episode? Yes, they this is the this, okay. this episode, yeah. Okay, so, um, the kiss in this episode uh, and that whole conversation between Will and uh, Alana was pretty remarkable. Uh, and we don't talk about the music a lot in this show, but the music during the kiss uh, reflected that emotional state that he was feeling, that, that almost freedom during that kiss that he felt in that moment, I imagine, from all of his problems. And it was such an amazing moment um, on, you know, just performance, but the music was insanely perfect after, especially after all these episodes, just getting this kind of dark undertones and, and disturbing kind of uh, uh, crescendos from the music, you know, whatever you want to call it. Um, that, that moment was really great. And, and it, it, uh, it 
points to me that uh, really nobody is there for Will's stability. I think the only person who's managed to kind of cut through the bullshit for Will is um, Becky, uh, honestly. Is that her name, Becky? Uh, no, Beverly. 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 Katz. Oh, um, Beverly Katz is the only one that's been like truly stable for him and straightforward for him and doesn't seem to be wanting anything from him except to be bluntly honest. And I think every scene there together, those are the moments I feel Will is the most stable and functional as a person because um, she isn't using him for anything or she's not confusing him about anything. It's really interesting to me. I would have said only just real quick. I would have said that Alana was also that for him until this until episode. this episode. Yeah, yeah. Until yeah, that she sure. becomes a, a huge source of distraction. Yeah, yeah. But yeah. I see that. Claire, please. Um, well, I was going to say that I think this episode is one of my favorites because it draws such a clear metaphor. Um, and, and we get that very frequently in episodes where the crime itself is a metaphor for the, the um, uh, emotional things going on with the characters. But this episode is so heavily rooted in sound, all of the auditory elements, and it's very overt in its discussion about um, how sound affects how we create sound just the the sheer uh, the viewing of this this person turned into a cello in the first place it is it is and will says it during his his willing his willing <laughs> his uh his, his superpower his, yeah <laughs> uh, while he's looking at it that that the killer literally wanted to play this person and that is the root of all of this theme of delusion that we are discussing in this episode. It is kind of the, um, the, the first time that we really, really are just overtly um, seeing the ways everybody is playing everybody else. Jack is playing Will, Will is playing Alana, you know, it, it and just, you can, it's kind of hard to even probably map out all of the ways that everybody is manipulating and playing the other people. And this, the symbolism of sound and this heightened um, idea of um, treating the human body as something um, as the, you know, the pinnacle of this art form of sound as well is just such a, I almost said resonant, but well, I'll say resonant. It's just such a resonant metaphor. It is, it's so well done. It's so well written um, in that through this whole episode from Will's auditory hallucinations that are happening, um, just all the way through the whole thing. It's, it's just, it's really, there's so many parts in play um, in this episode, just in terms of the number of characters interacting with other characters um it it's kind of mind-blowing i really love it i was telling phil prior to us recording that having the wonderful job of writing the summaries for our episodes uh gives me <clears throat> this kind of unique opportunity to 
experience the story of each episode in a in just kind of a different way. You know, I love fromage. Um, this episode blew my mind when I saw it the first time. Um, and trying to break it down, I was like, this is actually really hard. <laughs> There's so many things going on and all of them are important. There's no wasted space in the episode at all. Um, and it's also the beginning, the, I mean, obviously we've had it going on this entire season, but for me, this really is the turning point for Will's mental state. From here, his experience of his inner landscape just spirals down out of control, right? Um, and that's not a spoiler, like we know it's coming, <laughs> right? Um, and I mean, I, I can't, there's nothing else I have to say that everybody hasn't already said at this point, but I wanted to share what I looked up really quickly before we end this segment. I was so obsessed with finding out how they made the sound that comes out of the human cello. Mm -hmm. So I researched it and the composer said that the human cello is made up of live cello, vocal samples, bowed wood, and then a handful of low-end after treatments to create that sound. He said it took a lot of work, but they wanted the particular sound to be just right. And they nailed it. It was creepy as fuck. <laughs> yeah, that was. Yeah. Oh man. You remember, you remember when the incredible. You remember the group of scientists somewhere did uh recently they for the first time blew air through a mummy's vocal cords and produced a sound or something like that. Mm -hmm. I immediately thought of this episode and got super creeped out yeah. um, by that, even though it was fucking cool. But anyway. <laughs> Was it fucking cool? Because it felt like necromancy to me. I'm just well, gonna say that. that. I know, right? It does, but also very. Well, cool. and also like some sounds like don't need to exist. <laughs> some sounds carry a curse on you and all of the generations following you. <laughs> there. Um. So, I we didn't touch too much just now on Tobias Budge. First of all, Tobias Budge is such a great name. Great name. Oh um, uh, and the thing that struck me about him is he is really the only, he and Abel Gideon thus far are the only serial killers we've encountered who didn't feel kind of pathetic or pitiable. Like, you know, Gideon and Budge and, and Hannibal himself to a degree are all kind of like, I love killing people, you know? And it's like, it's very, like, they enjoy their jobs, you know? Um, and I think Budge in particular is presented here as a peer slash rival for Hannibal. Not someone, maybe the first someone besides Hannibal himself who isn't manipulated by either a psychiatrist or his own mental illness. Um, as such, you know, this is the first serial killer that Hannibal actually comes to blows with. And we get, you know, what I can only describe as serial killer kung fu fights, you know, like, <laughs> you know, spinning freaking musical strings and letter openers abound, you know, really snooty murder weapons. And lots <laughs> of butts. There was a lot of 
There was just beautiful shots of butts. How did we, and, and there were lots of butts. I, I kind of regret that I didn't pay more attention to that. Um, um, but you have a couple of Tina Belchers in here to always oh, remind you when the butt shots come along. I appreciate that. When they're bare butt shots, then you say tushy. Yeah, tushy shots. Latouche covered I did their not butt shots. I realized that I was supposed to refer to a bare butt as a tushy. I, yeah, I did not know um, that either. Because <laughs> when I say tushy, I think of a baby's butt. Look at yeah. your tushy. Yeah. You know, no, I, yeah. I think of other butts. Like not when I see, like, you know, serial killer butt, you know. <laughs> <laughs> um, so talk to me about Tobias Budge. How did you feel about him? Um, how do we like the actor? You know, I should also point out just because I've connected brian fuller and supernatural before the first time i saw demore barnes i think is his name uh was in supernatural um <laughs> and am i the only one who kind of like black serial killer what the fuck you know well, <laughs> that's for white people am i the only one but i think i think you should be really i think we should be really proud that we have this very you know uh ethnic representation, representation of serial yes. killers. And yeah. I love Tobias Budge so much. And I also do, I love that they give this particular serial killer. I love that it it is a person of color because this is a, I don't think you see people of color depicted this way enough in just terms of like, this is just a super, like this is a very white guy character. They don't play, they don't, they don't t turn the character traits at all um, in acknowledgement of how they cast this role. It is, it is that, you know, upper crust intellectual that we expect to see, you know, on an all white faculty um, at Harvard or, you know, whatever. Um, <clears throat> but I, I think Tobias Budge to your point, Justin is absolutely the, one of the only, um, murderers, you know, the feel in our field of villains <laughs> in this series, who really does match up to Hannibal, I think, in terms of, of just capability and uh, autonomy in his killing. <laughs> he is, he's even above Abel Gideon in that respect. For I don't, sure. I don't yeah. think that Abel Gideon really understands what he's doing a lot of the time, mm -hmm. some of the time anyway. Um, but Tobias is, and I think it's marked really nicely in the dinner scene between he and Hannibal, all of their conversations in this episode are like, you can just put them on repeat. They're so phenomenal. They're when Hannibal shows up at his shop and they have that little chess game of talking about like string and his harpsichord and all this other stuff. And they're not at all talking about musical instruments in reality the entire time. Like it just immediately, they both know exactly what the other person is saying. The sub subtext to each other is completely understood. There's no need for Hannibal doesn't have to talk down to this guy in any way whatsoever. And during the dinner scene, Hannibal clearly goes back and forth he describes how well i was gonna kill you and now maybe i'm not and like he is he is on the fence about this guy do i I'm, do i like I'm, him do i not do i yeah i mean like i'm not so sure that he's on the fence because he's like i mean 
Tobias ends up, rep- I mean, like the fact that Tobias, like, you know, came to his home and like, I mean, he invited Tobias in, but it's like the, you know, Tobias is like, I know who you are. And mm-hmm. as soon as Tobias is like, oh, I know who you are. Hannibal instantly goes into like, okay, well, you're a threat then. And I mean, I actually wrote down the bit of dialogue where it's like, Tobias is like I, saying I could use a friend and Hannibal is like, I understand how you feel, but I don't want to be your friend. Right. Um, and then he goes on to say that he's like, I was going to kill you. And Tobias does this look at the food and he's like, I didn't poison you. I wouldn't do that to the food. It was, <laughs> it was amazing. Like, that is savage. <laughs> so, <laughs> such, amazing. such a burn. Like, yeah. 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 <laughs> so I'm like, well, I'm not so sure he's interested in like having a relationship with Tobias. Um, but I will agree. I mean, a hundred percent that it's like, yes, Tobias matches Hannibal. Hannibal right. well, eats the rude and Tobias like murders the mediocre. Like he sure. can't abide mediocrity. Yeah. And that's well, his I, whole kind of thing. And I like, that. I think, <laughs> I think my feeling that he was on the fence about things does. Yeah, absolutely. Come up to that point where he realizes that Tobias knows exactly what he's done and is attempting to wield some level of, of power. Oh, I mean, that's really what it comes down to someone. When someone tries to wield power over Hannibal, he's, you know, there's, there's no acceptance of that. Um, but I, but I do think he's still on the fence in terms of like, he spends some time wondering, am I going to use this person or not? This is a person that I could absolutely um, respect in terms of their ability to do things. Um, It's, yeah, it's really phenomenal. And just everything else about Tobias Budge makes me happy from like Justin said, his name, like his parents had to know that they were creating a serial killer who was gonna wear tweed all the time Um, when they gave him that name. I mean, that's really clear. So I, um, I I just love everything about him. He's, and, and the fact that he uses like a garrote that is like, you know, like five stringed, whatever, like that, that's smart. This guy knows what he's doing and is so confident. There's, we don't have another character in the show. I don't think who is as confident as this guy is other than Hannibal. Yeah. I, love their I love every exchange that they have from the dinner to Franklin's session that leads to the fight so much of it is I delight in it because I'm sitting here being like Tobias is the bad guy (laughs) which is hilarious because I'm like what are listen to yourself do you know what I mean and their exchanges reminded me so, so, so much of um, the scene between Benedict Cumberbatch and Andrew Scott in Sherlock, or anybody who has seen that. Um, there, is an, there is a scene where Andrew Scott breaks into his house, and I'm not going to spend too much time talking about the show, but it's this moment where it's like, oh, I'm recognizing that you're the same as me even though I hate your guts and I'm going to kill you, you know, I'm fascinated by these types of things. And the, the, the way that it's delivered in this episode is like, we should have called this podcast chef's kiss because (laughs) it is 
pertinent to the subject matter. And also it is every single moment of this show. Ugh, yeah. Pettiness uh, with which Hannibal kills Franklin just so that he can keep, like take that away from Tobias is, and for Tob- and for Franklin to meet his end as just a like F you to the other guy, I'm going to kill this guy first is. Totally. I always had uh, this question about Hannibal killing Tobias excuse me, killing Franklin in this episode. Mm -hmm. Every time I watch it, I'm like never sure exactly why Hannibal kills Franklin. Like I know that there's this stated, I know it's this, okay, give me a (laughs) second. Because I know it's the stated reason is like, you know, I mean like the kind of thing is like, oh, he knows too much or he's, like or he's taking away Tobias's kill because like during the dinner with Tobias again he's like don't kill Franklin and he delivers it in this way where it's like is it because you want to save Franklin's murder for yourself or did you really not want to kill him Justin tell me okay I don't think (laughs) during the dinner I don't think Hannibal had decided whether or not he was going to kill Franklin I don't think Franklin what Franklin had not risen to the level of this is someone that Hannibal's going to target. Yeah. Um, when Franklin was deep in the throes of his delusion trying to talk Tobias down from the ledge, he was so he was droning on and on interminably and completely wrong and clearly missed everything. And Hannibal in that moment was me in jury duty wherein I hated everyone and everything that I w- that was speaking. And Hannibal was just like, oh, dear God. And I think Hannibal waited long enough to figure out, here's exactly how I'm going to explain this away. Yes, yes, I've got all the details. Please, God, make it stop. Like, <laughs> like the look on Hannibal's face after he kills Tob- uh, Franklin and he looks at Tobias, it was sort of a, come on now. <laughs> come on now you didn't want to hear him go on any further i mean it was that was that was murder that was like self-preservation murder you know what i'm saying like i need to maintain my sanity he is so he will not stop talking and i'm <laughs> going to kill him now that's that is what that was to me i okay, and I've i never like, I like that, that interpretation the next time i watch this i will look at it with that interpretation i've never thought anything else uh, <laughs> <laughs> philip you have not discussed tobias pledge with us much at all uh just, you know, one really quick, I, I like his ethnicity didn't bother me because he was so fucking good. All I saw was the performance in this because he was perfect. I Like, why would you cast anyone else? I'm just going to say this uh, just right now. Yeah. No black person is ever going to meet somebody talking about playing both the theremin and the harpsichord and not say... That is some white shit, dude. All right, no so one, white. no one, no. There, there's not a brother alive who's like. Right. Even Prince wasn't like ah the theremin and the harpsichord. <laughs> right. uh, yeah, no, 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 no. Uh, I I agree with that 100. Uh, percent The uh, the other moment, uh, uh, the one moment I want to point to is uh, when they're at the dinner table, um, and they stand up, and he's like, "I went sully the food, you know, I went poison the food." Um, <sighs> there's a moment where Hannibal turns away from Tobias and faces his back to Tobias for at least a good five seconds, giving Tobias every opportunity he needs to kill him. But Tobias hesitates because I think he's scared. I think he's genuinely scared of Hannibal. And that, to me, uh, 
you know, that that's a power move that I absolutely love yeah. from Hannibal. Um, and well, I think that uh, I, I'll end I'll end it. Hannibal's there. walked behind Tobias, and the first thing Tobias does is jump up from the table yeah. and keep, yeah. you know, turn around so that he doesn't have Hannibal behind him. And that is the moment where you realize, oh no, this guy doesn't have, he doesn't quite have it. He's almost there, but he doesn't quite have what it takes. Right. Right. I did sort of feel like, you know, there was a part of me who was like, Tobias should be around longer to be a real arch, you know, to be a real arch enemy for for Hannibal. But the thing is, Hannibal already has an opposite number and it's Will Graham. And, you know. Oh my God. We don't the need a look murder on Hannibal's The look on Hannibal's face when Will walks into the office after the attack and he's like so happy that he's still alive because he didn't oh. know. Oh, my heart. It's a good, it's, it's a great moment. an adorable moment. It's a great moment. That was oh like everything. I'm so happy that you said it. Well, Will mm -hmm. was, anyway, um, I think on that note, you know, on that steamy, sweet note, uh, we're going to move and let some, uh, some other people have their say on some interesting things that might intrigue you while we take a break. Uh, we'll be right back. Um, so I think we're starting to get into some interesting territory here between Hannibal and his psychiatrist, Bedelia du Maurier, portrayed by the always wonderful Gillian Anderson. Um, it's kind of weird to me and not in a bad way, but in a, you know, it's jarring to me to see him so open and intimate with her. And I sometimes wonder if they are speaking in code, like if she knows more than they're suggesting she knows. Uh, they never out out discuss his hobby, but she's made comments here and in the past that at least hint at the possibility that she's on to him. You know, when she referred to Hannibal's person suit in an earlier episode, I was like, she straight up said, you ain't a person, dude. She knows you. She got you. You know, <laughs> um, here, when Hannibal says that Will can assume his point of view, she responds with, by profiling the criminally insane. <laughs> and, and I was like, God damn, she just, she's calling you out, dude. She's freaking putting her finger on the button. Um, and I know we've talked about them before. It's just like, it feels like it's ramping up a little bit or changing, you know, the, the, what we're seeing with them. Um, and I guess I'm really particularly interested in Phil because the rest <laughs> of us pretty much know what's going on. Um, and maybe this is part of a larger question, but Phil, I want to check in with you. Mm -hmm. And I want to ask you what the hell is going on <laughs> and what you, what your take on oh the show God. thus far is, what do you think is going to happen? What do you know is going to happen from, you know, Red Dragon and, or Silence of the Lambs, you know? Um, God, it's been a, I, I, you know, I, I don't think they're going to go a recognizable route. I think they've already, sort of turned tropes from both books on their heads or recognizable things on their heads that I, I think we're going to keep getting recognizable things, but it's not going to go any of the ways we've seen before. I think these are just stepping off points. Um, watching these last couple episodes, I do feel like someone is going to have to die uh, for Hannibal to continue on to second season. And that's somebody we're not going to want to have die. Uh, you don't introduce a, a romantic relationship 
um, without the fear of somebody dying or, uh, or, or, you know, adding in different elements like that. Um, so I think for Hannibal to continue, someone will die by the end of the season. Um, we'll see. I'm not looking at any of your faces. Uh, well, the, let me ask you when, yeah, this, when you, cause I mean, you, you just kind of skirted around saying, you said someone's going to die and they introduced it to romantic subplot. Yeah, which suggests that you think that maybe Alana's well, on the chopping block. Well, I'm, I'm thinking, I'm thinking Alana. I'm thinking Jack could be because he's getting closer. He's kind of drawing in. He's making. Uh, we're not seeing. I this. We'll save next episode for next episode. But um, uh, we're not getting his point of view currently. We're pulling away from what he's thinking and what he's doing and how he's reacting. And I think that's from purposeful Jack, from Jack. Okay. And I think that's purposeful that we're not seeing any of that. After spending a lot of time with him the first half of the season, we're now spending no time in his head. And I think that's very purposeful. Uh, I, I think with Hannibal, and you see this in, uh, in the way his scenes are now shot, in the way they're now lit, his office is no longer an office in which the lighting is controlled. There's daylight spilling in. There's a sense of reality uh, kind of coming into his office and that to me spells that there's something something's going on that he can't control as well anymore there there are things kind of encroaching um uh in on, on in on him and and i think part of the reason why he's i don't know there's a lot of reasons why i think he could be going to see uh, a therapist i already mentioned one before so that he can act as a therapist more uh, uh realistically um, but I also think it's to test his, to portray his sense of humanity, um, because he's ultimately lying to her about many things. Uh, but he's what doing. What lies it, has he told her? He's doing it. Uh, uh, I think that uh, he doesn't care that um, Franklin died. Uh, I don't think he's traumatized over the fact that Franklin died. I don't think he wanted him to die. But he's not traumatized by it. He's not traumatized by being attacked by someone. Did he, did he say? Did he say that he was traumatized? Didn't he say? I. I mean, he said, "I feel responsible." Yeah, but he's I feel responsible he's for what happened to Franklin. Yeah, but he's putting on a performance of someone who's. He's saying, "I understand what you've gone through after you were attacked. Why you had to step back." He, he's relating to her trauma as a therapist. He's putting on a performance like he has been traumatized by this attack. He doesn't have, like, he doesn't have to literally say, I'm traumatized. That's not in Hannibal's, that's not Hannibal. He's smarter than that. But he's putting on the performance, the role of a therapist, a psychologist who's been traumatized by an attack, who's seen one. He says, it'll be weird for me to sit down and look at other patients who, where Franklin was killed and to sit down where I've been attacked as well. That's, he's, he's acting like he's traumatized. He's acting like he's he been is, a victim. He is uh, intimating that he's a victim and that he's been traumatized, but he yes. never actually says it. So it's like, it's only just to say that because you're like, oh, he's lying to her. Technically, mm -hmm. he's not. He's not, he, sure. Because that, that's the thing about this show. We've talked about the dialogue of this show mm -hmm. before where it's like, no one ever answers a question directly. Sure. And so, it's like no one, oftentimes no one is saying directly what it is they're thinking or feeling. They always kind of talk around it. Right. Um, and so, and he does that in this scene as well. He talks around it. And I, um, I think that person suit is a lie though. I mean, everything oh, he's portraying to her it is, is, a, is yeah. a lie, you know, yeah. yeah. I, well, I, I, would, I would pose this and I'm sorry, Justin, but okay. maybe this is kind of where you want to go. 
I would pose this to Phil. Go back and yeah, I'm clearing you right now. Um, hopefully. Um, I would suggest to Phil that you go back and rewatch all of the Hannibal Bedelia episodes, interactions, conversations with the mindset of, and this is not spoilery, it's just, it's because it's something I do every time I'm listening to them talk each, to each other is I'm constantly questioning that very thing. Is Hannibal lying? Are they lying to each other or are they just straight up telling the truth to, the, to each other? If they are straight up telling the truth to each other, what does that mean? What is it telling us about? If you make the assumption that Hannibal is telling her the truth, what can you, what do you get from that in those conversations? And I think it's, it's really, really interesting because I think that conversation about where he's, he's, he's saying things that sound like the typical, like post-traumatic discussion of like, well, it's going to be difficult to go back into my office. Well, what is, what is he saying? Is he saying it's difficult to go? Is he trying to lie and say it's difficult to go back into my office because I feel I'm implying that I'm traumatized, which is what a normal person would feel? Or am I telling this person I, it's going to be difficult to go back into my office because I no longer feel like I want to engage as a psychiatrist any longer. I am now so far down the road into the, uh, this journey of... Um, being back, you know, he hasn't killed the, the Chesapeake Ripper has not had, you know, a string of murders for a while until recently. Is he saying, I, I don't really want to spend time in the office anymore. <laughs> not, not this office in any case. Um, I think it's interesting. I, the, the, every, and you, you know, I don't think it's a spoiler to say that we're going to continue to have these conversations between he and Bedelia and, and what do they, what are they supposed to tell us as an audience? And I think these scenes show a, a particular nuance. Um, Hannibal never comes, he never has an affectation of trauma. There's never a time when he acts like he's traumatized. Do you know what I'm saying? He might use some of the words, but he never refers to himself as traumatized. He never says it will be upsetting or painful. He says it will be strange, you know? And this is maybe the first time well no it's definitely not the first time but it's rare that his his office is sort of his sanctum you know what i mean and it's rare that people break into it and bring their shit into it the only other time being miriam lass you know and she came in and stumbled across shit you know and got herself, you know, cacked for it. Um, but it's, I, it all fascinates me. I think there's a danger in a, I just think it's super nuanced and like everything matters in, in these conversations, you know? Um, yeah. I'm, I'm still yeah. noticing new shit and this is like, I mean, you know, I watched these episodes twice in preparation. And, yeah, so do I. Yeah, I you know, and I was like, God damn, there's so much nuance and so like, I'm, I'm still and, fascinated. Yeah. Oh my God, she's Jillian freaking Anderson. amazing. Oh. I'm still fascinated just by the question Always. of what Bedelia gets out she of. She could play the theremin for me. This relationship, like, what did, what did, what are Bedelia's psychological motivations? I'm still 
trying to figure that out. Even after watching the whole series over and over and over again. I remember, I remember feeling very much the first time I watched this and I still have that feeling now watching it again. I feel after their sessions that she is like a hostage making the best of her situation. That is how I've always felt about her. She is like, you know, I'm, I'm doing this to save my own neck. You know? Yeah, I definitely, I definitely had that feeling. Like even, even the first, the very first time watching it through in these scenes, I always had that feeling too. Yeah. That it was a, it was a form of, of survival. Yeah. But enough about the gorgeous, gorgeous Jillian Anderson. We can never have enough of Jillian Anderson. You ain't never lied. And, um, but I think we can move on to, you know, everyone's favorite part of this show. Um, The great thing about the show is that it's about murder. And one of the things that we always get after murders is a corpse. And the corpses in the show are, dare I say, exquisite. So we have come to Exquisite Corpse. Uh, We will do a little amateur psychology, a little amateur sleuthiness. Uh, Claire, why don't you talk to us about this week's Exquisite Corpse? It's uh, Kelly Sue. It's Kelly Kelly Sue. Sue. I said, Claire, I apologize. I'm used to being forgotten about. Kelly Sue, (laughs) you are many things, but not forgettable. Forgettable is not one of them. Please talk to us about these exquisite corpse with your exquisite words. This is a very exquisite corpse. Am I right? I mean, oh we've, we've already sent so much of this episode talking about this particular murder tableau because it is outrageous right it's shocking in visuals it's shocking just in general the fact that there was somebody at the studio responsible for creating this set piece can't stop thinking about it um but to dive into the discussion of this exquisite corpse and to bring a little something else that we haven't already talked about I um, was really drawn to what Will says when he is doing his murder scene thing. And he's seen the murder through, we come to know Tobias's eyes, right? He says, I open his throat from the outside to access the trachea and expose the vocal cords. I open his throat from the inside using the neck of a cello, powder on the wound, rosin on the bow, I wanted to play him. I wanted to create a sound, my sound. Mm. And the throat chakra is the seat of truth and personal truth. And given that this was kind of like a fan letter, an invitation to Hannibal, Tobias is also weaving in his own like, this is me. Which is why later on in the episode, when Hannibal asks him, did you kill the trombonist? He says, did you really need to ask? Mm. 
Like so much of his identity is built into the fact that he killed this guy, the reason that he killed this guy, all of it is put together in such a way that he's like, Hannibal won't even need to ask if it's me. And that's intimate as fuck. Ugh. Kelly Sue, that was incredible. That was an incredible journey you just took us on. Like I'm, I have chills. I loved all of that so much. I don't even, I don't even have anything to add because it was so perfect. You, you blew my mind with when you brought in yeah. the throat chakra. I'm not gonna lie. Yeah. That was, yeah, because that was some shit that I was like, I wish I'd looked that shit up. I wish I. <laughs> <laughs> you straight up said that, and I was like. I feel like I just got cleared, but I never would have thought of that. You know? Like, wow. I really wish I had. Listen. <laughs> Hannibal, am I right? Mm -hmm. This show. This um, fucking show, you guys. <laughs> I'm telling you what. But I was, it's just another one of, the, it's another reason why I love this episode so much. Um, that you can look at a murder scene like this, horrific. But then once you kind of pick it apart, you're like, I'm not gonna lie, like this is really beautiful and romantic. Yeah. Oh yeah. And I mean, I love like um like I wrote down a different line that Will says later um during the autopsy, where he's like still kind of, you know, in his murder mm. mode. <laughs> and he looks and he says, I had to open you up to get a decent sound out of you. Yeah. And it's like that because that was also like Tobias speaking his truth through yeah. Will because Will could see that too that his kind of like motive was because this guy wasn't yeah. good he was mediocre at best as a trombonist and that was so yeah. offensive How you know dare you and that's yeah <laughs> and it's funny because apparently that has been a recurring theme for Thomas Harris like multiple times in books and movies, there have been references to Hannibal or some other killer taking out a member of a symphony orchestra for sucking. Mm -hmm. <laughs> wow. <laughs> so, um, okay, interesting, Thomas Harris. All we're really saying is, we see you. <laughs> we think you want to be seen. Thomas Harris is inner music critic is freaking savage Telling you. <laughs> yeah. well and and then the knowledge of that i mean it's something we all understand from everything we know previously to this tv series that when we in the episode where he's sitting there listening to the soprano sing i was so nervous during mm -hmm. that scene because everything rides at the end of that on what hannibal's assessment of her is and I'm look I'm listening to her in such a state of tension the whole time because I'm like is she good enough is she good enough I don't know please be good enough don't don't yeah. hit a wrong note don't hit a wrong note you know like it it's uh and then when you see the the tear you know coming down Hannibal's face it's like oh whew, he I think he appreciated yeah. her whew, okay good well and also in that episode when Hannibal almost has that moment where you can see that he's kind of deciding to kill Tobias already because of him doubting mm. the fact that Franklin was like looking at him or came here to see him or whatever. I'm like, oh, Hannibal was probably like convenient. Yeah. <laughs> Tobias is one of the few characters, uh, just to go briefly back to the, the character of how Tobias is represented. He is 
he's not a he's not a series or an, a season arc villain, mm-hmm. right? But he is like Abel Gideon or whatever. But he is afforded that like he's in more than yeah. one episode and has more than just the connection to the one thing that he's done. Totally. So well, Tobias, great job on this. We love you. <laughs> a plus. Especially like. I mean, you really hit it on the head because this corpse was specifically a an overture, pun, you know, pun intended, unaccepted to Hannibal, you know, and I, God, I love this episode. I just love it so much. Before we leave Fromage completely, uh, I will accurately choose Claire <laughs> now to... Uh, to give us our recommendation. What did Fromage say to you, Claire, that you think should be said in another way to our devoted listeners? Well, in a lot of ways, what Hannibal as a whole says to me over and over and over again is Jillian Anderson, Jillian Anderson, Jillian Anderson. Like just, you can't have too much Jillian Anderson. And so my recommendation is a really, really dark um, crime uh, drama series from the BBC called The Fall. It is so good. It is amazing. It's set in Northern Ireland. Gillian Anderson plays an investigator, kind of a specialist who goes in and cleans up other people's shit when they've done bad job in investigation, if I remember correctly. Um, it also stars Jamie Dornan, who I don't think it is a spoiler to say is our serial killer in this particular um, story. And it mirrors Hannibal in so many ways, but especially in the fact that, you know, you have an investigator and you have a serial killer and they form a relationship that is intimate and personal and combative and uh, complicated and troubling and all of those things. Jillian, and this might be, I think, one of Jillian Anderson's best roles ever. She's just a very complicated character. It is a very well-drawn female character. She is strong, but not strong at the same time. She is um, complicated. She's allowed to have really messy sexual issues (laughs) um, that don't work out well for her, but not in a way that shames her really you know it's it's just a really really well done show um you see why she wanted to take this role um and Jamie Dornan who you know gets flack for you know being that 50 shades of gray guy he he's so much more than that and this role is also I think one of his best as well it's just so good all right well I think that brings us to the end of another hopefully successful episode of Murder Husbands. Um, Please, uh, before we go, where can we find everyone? Philip Kelly, my mortal enemy. I am at Philip Creates literally everywhere. Kelly Sue Milano, apple of my eye. It's me. Uh, You can find me at Kelly Sue Says on Instagram, 
Twitter, and I have one video on the TikTok. Lisa K. Weber, my muse. Oh, you can find the comic Hex 11 that Kelly Sue and I make together at hexcomics.com. And you can follow me on the social medias at lcatweber. Clarissa Thorne, who I am currently obsessed with. I'm trying to have you available in every segment of our show. Where can we find you? (laughs) Uh, I am at Unexpected Hobby on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And you can find my geeky cross-stitch patterns um, in my Etsy store, which is also Unexpected Hobby. And I post a new page of my hard-world fantasy webcomic, Hunter Black, every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at HunterBlackComics.com. You can keep track of me at JustinPeniston.com or follow me on Twitter at HunterBlackComX. We are Popsicle. You can listen to our other podcasts, both with the Fanbase Weekly and on Spotify, where all podcasts can be found. And be on the lookout for our next ongoing series, That Episode Was where we'll be taking a weekly look at the newest episode of whatever strikes our fancy. And we will begin with why the last man we will post our shows days after within days of the show airing. And of course you can also take a look at our MCU retrospective MCU and chill. You can help us subscribing, sharing, and leaving a nice comment. Follow us at popsicle pod on all social media pop platforms. That's P O P S K L P O D. Check out our web sp- our website, uh, popsiclepod.com, yum, 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 or sign up for our newsletter, uh, which is free. And until next time, bon appetit. This has been a Popsicle Podcast production.